Church podcast. This is part seven of our series, Streams, with a message entitled, Making Room for Miracles, with Pastor Bob Bidwell. We've been talking about this series uh, entitled Streams. Nelson's been, Pastor Nelson's been talking about that. Um, seven weeks ago, he started the series, Streams, and he talked about how really how big a topic this uh, is in the Bible about water, about stream, streams, about uh, living water. And uh, he said, without water, there's no life. That's true. Uh, and with water, there is life. And he referred, I don't know if you remember this, he referred to a flight that he'd taken uh, back from Africa and they had to divert over the Nile. And he described the amazing contrast between the tens of thousands of square kilometers of sand and desert and this beautiful river cutting a corridor through it. You know, the the green corridor. um, Just flourishing. Uh, There's a scripture that was referred to It's Psalm 1-3, it says, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they never, and they prosper in all that they do. So I want to talk to you this morning about streams, but I want to talk to you about encounters with our Lord. Encounters uh, and making room for those encounters, for those miracles, for the activity of God in our life. Encounters, that means to come upon, that means to uh, meet with many times. It's usually maybe unexpected. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, a story in my life. Um, I wasn't flying over a river, but I was driving up to a river, uh, April 1998, uh, coming to the peace country for the first time since 1974, so that's what, 20, do the math, 24 years. Um, And there it was. You know, it's spectacular when you drive up to it and then the, the river valley opens up and then all of a sudden you're dropping down into it, right? And there's that, that same idea of that river flowing through. Well, I'd come up here with a pastor friend. Uh, I'd flown from Saskatchewan. I was, I was from Saskatchewan. No, I'm not from Saskatchewan, but I live in Saskatchewan. It's, a, it's okay. Uh, I met him in Calgary, and we'd driven up to this peace region. I, as his tag along, uh, he'd come to overs- their, their church was overseeing some house churches up here in this region, and he asked me to come along with him. What had happened in my life at this time due to health reasons, I had been pastoring a small church in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, and due to health reasons, I had to step away. And in February, I had left that church, uh, and I remained in, we remained, our family remained in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. It was on medical EI. Physically, by this time in April, I had recovered, but I was kind of wondering, well, what's the next step? I was, it's pretty dry for me at that time. I needed a fresh challenge. So I came up there with my friend and we visited Fort St. John, Dawson Creek, Heights, whirlwind tour, right? Not really, it was a number of days. And uh, final stop was in Beaver Lodge, not in Beaver Lodge, on a farm outside of Beaver Lodge actually. And I remember gazing over the fields uh, out there the time is out there, and I had this impression in my, just kind of a gut feeling impression. It wasn't weird or anything. It was just, and I hadn't eaten pizza or anything like that, but I had this feeling that kind of this move to Grand Prairie. You, you should move to Grand Prairie. What about Grand Prairie? So over the next few months, God orchestrated the move, and we came to Grand Prairie, in September long weekend of 1998. So that was a real time of encounter for me and 
for my family. It was a change. So I want to talk about that. Um, there was that you know, kind of little voice. It wasn't an audible voice. There was that feeling. There was that, okay, think about it type of thing. And then it opened up as we uh, moved into it and moved into Grand Prairie and rented an apartment and got jobs here. And um, Grand Prairie was booming at that time. Even getting the apartment was a tricky thing because... Um, we had lived in, as a, I'd been a pastor, and we'd lived in a house that the church had provided, so I had no references. So we went to this place to get this apartment, and she said, no problem, uh, we'll rent it to you, even though you know, things were really, there was, happened to be an apartment, things were at full capacity pretty much. But the Lord was doing something. Now, I want to talk about that this morning, about making room, about encounters. And I want to take you to uh, the Old Testament and to a couple of stories in 2 Kings chapter 4. The Old Testament uh, Hebrew way of writing was this. It's kind of interesting when you look at it. There's two, two stories that are connected to each other, uh, and they're in, but they're in contrast with each other in what they're trying to teach us. Now, the main character of this story is Elisha. You remember Elisha? He's the former apprentice of a, of a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah's a prophet who was called uh, back to heaven. He didn't die. He was taken by a chariot up into heaven. And as that chariot was going up into heaven, Elisha said, well, I said before, uh, uh, I want a double portion of what you got, Elijah. And, uh, and so Elijah said, well, when, 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 when they come for me, I'm going to throw my cloak out to you, my mantle, he called it, and you, know, you, you grab onto it, and it'll be yours. And indeed, Elisha did get the double portion. And uh, he got the ability to do his work as a prophet, which was a couple of things he did. He worked miracles. He anointed kings into office, but he also, they also, these prophets back then, kept accountable the kings that were in office. And that was a rough time sometimes. And they died for speaking against the king. And uh, it came about that, um, anyway, in this story, we'll get to it. It's, the first story is about a widow woman. Um, it says, one day the wife of a man from the guild of prophets called out to Elisha. So there's a guild of prophets. There's this company of prophets that uh, associated together, not to play golf, <laughs> but to do their pro profiting, prophesying. Um, and... Uh, he says to this, uh, she says to this, Elisha, she says, your, uh, your servant, my husband, is dead. So this is very close, real close to this company of prophets, close to Elijah, Elisha. And you well know what a good man he was, devoted to God, and now the man to whom he was in debt is on his way to collect, my, collect by taking my two children as slaves. She had a problem. She had a huge problem. Uh, but it's an interesting thing. This widow knew she needed a miracle and she got one. It's important to realize that. This woman knew, she went to the prophet. She knew about the company of prophets. She knew about uh, what these, these guys in, did for God and with God and in God's power. We're going to relate to you here the rest of the story. Well, he sits back and says, well, I wonder how I can help her, how we can help her. She says, he says to her, tell me, what do you have in your house? She says, nothing. First of all, she says, nothing. Sometimes we do look at ourselves and we say, I got nothing. I got nothing in my heart. I got, I'm stuck. But she actually then she said, she remembered I have a little oil. I have just a little oil. You know that 
God wants to do things in our lives that have small beginnings. That's just a little small beginning out there at, at Beaver Lodge for us. It was just a, a you know, a thought, a, you know, a, an impression. But God wants to do great things in your life with small beginnings. A little oil. I have a little oil. Maybe there's a small beginning that you need to look at in a relationship uh, in your life. Maybe there's a small beginning in, in, in a problem, in some place, some place that you might be stuck in your life. You start with small beginnings. But she came, became part of what God was doing. That's why, uh, and, and Elisha said, here's what you do. Here's what you do. We think, well, I'm just gonna sit around here, you know, and kind of try to be holy and pray for a miracle and, uh, you know, just kind of, I'm just gonna kind of wait on God. But Elisha says, here's what you do. She became part of what God was doing. So, Elisha says, you go out, door to door in your community and you collect all the jars and bowls you can get. Can you imagine doing that? Going up knocking the door, could I, could I have a bowl? Could I have a, you know, I've got a little bit of oil I'm gonna pour into it. Um, so they went from door to door and they got all the bowls and they got all the uh, jugs they could get and uh, she, she told her boys, you know, start filling these jugs and that you got in the back room of her house and they're filling these jugs. And all of a sudden, the one guy says, Mom, there's none left. We've, we've, we've collected all the jars and containers in town and they're all full now. And the oil stopped. It just stopped. You know, can you, can you imagine going out and collecting all of these jars and bowls and stuff? Uh, and what would be your first question that you might ask? Why am I doing this? Sometimes we say, why am I doing this in this small beginning? I only have a little oil. Why am I collecting all of these jars? Why am I getting all of these bowls? I've only got a little bit of oil. But she found out why, didn't she? She found out why. It says she told the story to Elisha. And he said, go sell and make good on your debts. Get this guy off your back and then live what's left, live, live with your sons. You know, just carry on living. So what are you asking why about? And what do you have to move from the why in your life to the what now, Lord? That you have to start filling these jars and these bowls with the little oil that you have. What is it? Because there might be something. There probably is something. Maybe there's a broken relationship. There's a falling out. There's a hurt. Uh, there's parenting. How about parenting? Have you wasted a lot of time and energy asking yourself, why is this going on with my kid? Why is this happening in our family? And God says, you got something to do. Do the what now. Live in the moment. Quit wasting your energy on the why. See, we need God's activity. We need an encounter with God like Elisha had, uh, or like the widow had with Elisha. It's a fantastic story of provision, isn't it? We probably all heard it. Now, we go on to the rest of the story. It's another story. It's the well-to-do woman, I call her. It says, 
One day, Elisha passed through Shunem. A leading lady, some scripture says a prominent lady, uh, of town talked him into stopping for a meal. And then it came, became his custom. Whenever he passed through, he stopped for a meal. Then this happened. It says the, the widow goes back. No, not the widow, sorry. The well-to-do woman goes back and sits down with her husband. They're kind of probably around the campfire, right? How many are around the campfire these nights? Maybe not today so much, but it's been great evenings, eh? It's around the campfire, or they're, they're sitting in their couch in the living room, and she says, I'm certain, said the woman to her husband, that this man who stops by with us uh, has a meal all the time, all the time, is a holy man of God. Why don't we add on a small room upstairs and furnish it with a bed and a desk and a chair and a lamp so that when he comes, he can stay with us? And the fellow says, uh-oh, honey-do list, got to build a room. Yeah, he did. They built a room. And uh, see, this is interesting, isn't it? She no longer would say, okay, go down to the Shunem Pomeroy Inn and Suites or the Shunem Holiday Inn Express and get a room. You're going to come and stay at my place. My husband's going to build you a room and you're going to stay with us. Talk about getting with the plan of God. Um, Here's an interesting thing about this woman. I think she had a genuine heart because she didn't give to get, give to God to get from God. She didn't give so, oh, I just got to have the prophet here, you know, and kind of <clears throat> tell him what to do or whatever. <clears throat> she said, I'm going to build this room and see what God will, she didn't do that. I'm going to build this room and see what God will give me. She didn't have this give to get attitude. She didn't do that. See, the contribution of this woman was this. She wanted to be part of what God is doing. How many here want to be a part of what God is doing? How many of you want to be a part of God, what God is doing in Grand Prairie, in this region, in this province, in our nation, around the world? See, this woman made room for God. She literally made a room for God, but she made room for God. We want to be part of what God is doing. But it starts with us making room for him. Having these encounters with him. You can't manipulate or maneuver God you can't make him move, but you can only make room for God to move in your life. See, if we think we can try to make God remo- uh, move, that's called you know, control, and we're really not making God move. We're moving, or we think we're moving, or we're doing something. You can't make God move. I remember hearing that, that, that saying as a young Christian, well, we gotta get God to move. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, go, go ahead and try that. Uh, it says in the Bible, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Are we going to get God to move? Or are we going to make move, room for him to move in us? I want, I want you to think about these three facts about making room for something new to be birthed in you, to hear God, to see him in everyday life and respond to his call, I think there's three things to consider. Number one is uh, making room builds expectancy. Now, a few years ago, eight years ago now, my uh, son and daughter-in-law had their, our first grandchild. And I remember going over to the house and my son was making room for this child. He was actually taking one of their bedrooms and uh, turning it into a nursery. Of course, there was a, you know, it wasn't just moving a crib in. It was color-coordinated. It was uh, the rocking chair. And um, what do you call those little things over the crib? Kids play with those things. 
It's been a while. Um, mobiles, thank you. Thanks. Um, there's the mobile, and there's the change table, and there's um, that thing now. Didn't have them back then, but you put the dirty diapers in them. Uh, diaper genie, okay, good. Wow, this, some of you guys are right up on this. It's great. Um, there's the diaper genie. Uh, I wish when I had to change diapers, there literally was a diaper genie myself, but uh, um, anyway. So it builds expectancy. Think about a young couple expecting. Think about that, it, that expectancy, building the nursery, the faith and the trust and looking forward and the hope. The scripture says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Talking about the ancients, he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the rest of them in that great chapter, Hebrews chapter 11 what we call sometimes the hall of faith, where it has all these wonderful saints of God who expected God to do something. And we need to look for these encounters. And we can have faith to expect them when we make room in our lives um, the second thing making room does is it cultivates normalcy. In other words, it's normal. It becomes a normal occurrence. I didn't say that it's you know mundane or yeah it's just another move of God or whatever. Uh, no, but it makes it normal to expect God to encounter us. We can't make it happen. We can only make room. See, having Elisha visit, the well-to-do woman had Elisha visit and then stay, built a room, became a very normal occurrence to have him there. It doesn't say it became a boring experience or it became, oh, well, just kind of old hat, as they say. Uh, See, we can't make it happen, but we can make it normal, normality, normalize it. Not weird to encounter God on a personal basis. It isn't to have God speak to your heart, whether you're through reading scripture, meditating on scripture, having something when you're out there looking over a field or whatever you're doing, to have God whisper something to you and you make room and it grows in you, and you follow him. And he speaks to us and think, and as we think about him. There's an occurrence in the Bible of another prophet named Samuel. Samuel was taken as a little guy to the temple, and he became an apprentice of the prophet Eli. And it says this, in the scripture. Now the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli and a word from the Lord was rare in those days and visions were infrequent. There was no normalcy. It wasn't normal to have God show up. They didn't expect anything to happen. That's how far back they had gone away from God at this time under uh, the prophet Eli and his wicked sons. We want to make it normal. Now number, number, the third one about making room is for God, brings an awareness of the need of the transcendency of God. Okay, don't stumble over that word transcendency or transcendence because it's a good word. It's a big word. You don't use it every day. You know, talk to your neighbor. Well, I see the transcendence of your roof on your house or whatever, something like that. Uh, you don't use that word every day, but I think it's a good word to think about because I think sometimes it puts God in the right perspective. 
it's not a well-known word, but it means beyond ordinary limits, surpassing and exceeding in goodness. You see, you can't limit him to what he can do when you make room in your life for him. See, his, his transcendence, he transcends our minds. In other words, the, the human thinking that we, we have and we go there and we, we go back to it often and sometimes it takes room away from God. Transcendent, it, you know, it changes the paradigm. God does some great things. So we're going to go on with the story here. Verse 11. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down on on his bed. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. That's a Shunammite. That's a... um, we're not, we call it, we're called Albertans here, right? Grand Prairians, is that the way you say it? You don't say Grand Prairie height, right? It just kind of sounds like, uh, you know, a bad bug or something. But um, she, she's a Shunite. She's a well-to-do woman, I call her, a prominent. Uh, so he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people. Well, what kind of a statement, what kind of an answer was that? Elisha said, what can be done for her? Gehazi has the answer. He says, she has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway, and he told her, about this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. Here's an encounter with the prophet who was speaking for God. But she says, no, my Lord, I, she objected. I object. She gets excited. She flips out because she's going to have a baby in a year. Well, that's probably not the normal reaction. He says, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. This idea that I have a home among my people. What was she really saying there? What she was saying is, I'm okay, I'm fine, I don't need this miracle. I'm doing good, I'm okay. What was coming out there was her own self-sufficiency. Here's a a quote from Pastor Wayne Cadero. He says, God's goal for our life is not self-sufficiency, but it's divine proficiency, divine purpose. That's what it is. She says, I have a home among my people. Here's the interesting thing. The contrast between the widow with the oil and this well-to-do woman is this, the woman with the, oil, with the oil knew she needed a miracle and she got one. This woman, this well-to-do woman needed a miracle but she had no idea there was even a possibility for a miracle because her own self-sufficiency, what her plans were, had got in the way. She objected and she objected strongly. This woman who genuinely Made a, made a room for the prophet up in her house, had come to this in her life. She literally made a room and now she objects to what the prophet is saying. You know, she had invited Elisha, trusted him as a true prophet, had him come into her home, had her husband build a room, said to her husband, he's a holy man, And she says, no, my Lord, don't mislead me. I don't want to hear it. 
You can, you know, here's what happens, the kind of times, the cycles in our life. We make room for God, we go along fine, and then something else comes up, great things are happening maybe, and we shut, we shut the door. Because the next thing is not what we expected. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit my plan. Now here, we don't know what it was with this lady, but there seemed to be something that happened in this well-to-do woman's life. Maybe, maybe there was a disappointment in her life that led her to the, deny the anything regarding this part of her life. We don't know, it doesn't tell us in scripture. But they, evidently, she had settled. She had completely settled. I have a home with my people, that's what she said, and don't, it's good, don't mislead me, don't take me down this path. And her life led her to deny anything regarding this part of her life. It's all good, I'm all right. Don't mislead me, I'm okay. Got a home with my people. Maybe there's some things that you've been so disappointed over or discouraged over for so long that you've lost hope and you've settled and you're just kind of there. It's okay. I'm just here. But God encountered her and he wants to encounter you again. This was totally unexpected for her. She built a room for the prophet, but it was totally unexpected. See, we used to have a saying back in the day, back when I was a younger Christian, I don't know if we have it anymore, it says he read her mail. I don't know how that works in the digital world, uh, but I guess it could work. Somebody could get your password and go in and read your email or whatever, but isn't that an interesting thing? He does read our mail. God reads our mail. It's interesting. What happened in her life was a conflict arose between a truth revealed and a misbelief concealed. We had these truths that get revealed to us, these things revealed to us, and they have conflict with us because of our misbelief, because of our thinking. See, what Elisha had done, he had hit a nerve with her. He could see beneath the surface. He still had something more for her and he still has something more for you. Elisha was this type of a prophet, maybe this was just went along with the ministry of a prophet, that he was able to get underneath her self-sufficiency. God wants to get underneath our self-sufficiency because he knows that our self-sufficiency doesn't really cut it for us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows where we settle, what we hang on to. He, he said to her, you're gonna have a baby next year. He says, no, Mr. Prophet, I'm good where I am. I have a home among my own people. I'm secure and satisfied with my family, is what she was saying. I don't want this, don't mislead me. She objected. But you know what? God overrules our objections. He overrules them. You know, there are courtrooms in our land here where a judge will say, objection overruled, right? Maybe you've watched a courtroom drama. I don't know. I'm not, maybe there's one on TV. And don't say, yeah, I watched Judge Judy. That's not a courtroom, there's drama, but that's not a courtroom drama that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, 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 uh, the, the lawyers coming out, the defense and the prosecution, they come out and they, they present the case and they have these arguments. And that's a courtroom drama, not Judge Judy, please. Or maybe you've read John Grisham novel. Anybody read Gr John Grisham? 
Nobody reads John Grisham? Oh, there's a few. I know he hasn't had a lot. I mean, he had a lot of books, and now he has very few, but maybe you've read that. The judge will say, objection overruled. We have a kind judge, God. He's kind. He's good all the time. His goodness is great. And he stands up sometimes and he says, objection overruled. I can't do that. Objection overruled. Elisha says, you will have a son in your arms next year. She says, I object. But here's the truth about, about uh, uh, and it's a good thing. This is a good thing, everybody. It, we, we don't like it when it happens, but it's a good thing. God goes into our closets where we put no trespassing, keep out signs on the doors. He goes into the closets of our lives. You know, um, we don't like that too much. He goes in and gets behind our objections, and he says, objection overruled. See, God has more than the confines of your past, the anxieties of your future. He wants to encounter you where you're at. Even if you're at that place of resignation that says, well, it's just how it is. It's just how it is. That's, sometimes that gets pathetic. Life will give us what we settle for. It's just how it is. It will. It will give you what you settle for. When I think back to the opportunity that my pastor friend Steve uh, gave me, phoned me up in Yorkton, and he says, come on up. I'm going up to the peace country. Come on up there with me. What I said, where? Where is that place? Actually, I knew I'd been through here years ago, like I said, but what if I'd said, where? No, uh, I'm good. I f I'm, I'm feeling okay. No, I don't really need to waste my energy on flying to Calgary, getting in a car and driving up to the Peace River country with you. What if I'd said, no, I don't, I don't feel like it. I'm gonna stay here. I gotta tell you, at this time, I remember back, remember well, I was driving my wife crazy to a place where she thought she was living with Eeyore. You know who Eeyore is? I'm not kidding. That's what was going on. So I'm saying, don't settle. Don't give these excuses. Well, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I got some things in my past. I'm not feeling it. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for that nonsense. I remember when I was younger and I was learning this new job. Um, yeah, I was younger, by the way. Uh, my, my boss said to me, I'm going to throw you in the deep end of the pool in this job. He said that. He said that to me. And I didn't like that very much. It actually kind of terrorized me. I didn't say much about it. I wasn't the guy to, no, you're not, or, you know, uh, I won't accept that, or I just took that. And I objected silently. I was standing up on the inside. You ever said that to your kid or thought that about your kid? He's standing up on the inside. But he threw me in the independent in the pool and I survived. And I learned some new things about the job and how to do the job. And I also especially learned some things about myself. So what is your objection? Your objection, objection God says, is overruled. Take a risk. Don't settle. Let God encounter you and challenge you. Let him get through the doors that you've shut, the closets that you've closed. See, this is the neat thing about coming here to peoples and being a pastor here is I've seen so many people in this church take risks and God has always been there for them and they've changed and they've grown because they've stepped out. And um, we came to this church in 2003 and we attended first for the 
first uh, four years. We just attended. And that's exactly what we saw. And that's why we stayed. We kept coming back because there was that challenge. See, here's the scripture, Philippians 4.19. He's saying, well, I object. He says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's all your needs. Not, not, not just your food and your clothing and your money. It's talking about the needs of your heart. The needs that, that, that you need to do his purpose in your life. Those things as you step out. Or I will instruct you in Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you about the direction you should go. I'll advise you and keep my eye on you. You think God doesn't have your eye, his eye on you? Well, we think God has our, his eye on us and we think, yeah, he's on his eye, eye on us because he wants to just get after us and be angry with us. That's not true. That's a bunch of, it's not true. It's not true at all. I will instruct you and teach you about the direction you should go. I'll advise you and keep my eye on you. So it takes place. She goes, she does give birth to a son. So we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, the child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And he has a problem, doesn't he? His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. And everything that she was afraid of happened. You know, there are times when the promise of what God has encountered us with gets weary, it gets worn out. And that promise will need to be revived. That promise is not dead. God called you to a purpose, that's not dead. That purpose is still there. So she went up and laid him on the bed, verse 21, of the man of God, and then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly. And the guy says, why go to him today? You know, he's just kind of delaying. He said, it's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's right, she said. But she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, servant lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. Something had happened with this lady. She was different because she says, get going. She says, you know, get that cart going. Don't settle for less. Contend for more. That had changed in her life. I can go to the man of God and quickly return, she said. Here's something what was happening with this woman. There was a process that was going on in her life and she didn't see it all, but she had changed by the time, you know, from the time when she objected to the time she said, now my son's lying dead and I'm gotta get going here to the man of God. See, what we do is that uh, there, there's a process going on in our lives, but don't mix up the process with the purpose. We can do that. Don't mix up the practice with the promise. There's a big difference between the process and the purpose. Sometimes the process is long, tiring, and we need to contend for it. Something's going to develop in her, and something's going to develop in us if we stick with the process. And remember, there's a purpose, just like the widow. She stuck with the process, a little oil, a bunch of jars. She filled them and filled them and filled them and filled them. And then she found out why. She stuck with the process and then she saw the purpose, getting her out of debt and living with her sons. What is it? What's the process that you are in right now and you can't see the purpose? Are your, do you have weariness in your life? You maybe have relationship things. Parenting, wow, there's a lot of times you contend, don't you? You keep on contending in, in, in parenting. And you're driving the wagon forward. But it seems like, oh, what a process. Don't get stuck there in the process. Always look to the purpose. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so is the Christian life, by the way. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. It's something that 
We contend for our faith. So here's the rest of the story. So she set out and came to the man of God on Mount Carmel. When he saw her at a distance, the man of God said, uh, said to his servant, look, there's, there's that lady. Run to her. He's wondering, is, is, is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. What? But when she reached the man of God, he didn't want, he, she didn't want to talk to the servant. She wanted to talk to the man of God, to the prophet. She took hold of his feet, came over and pushed Gehazi out of the way. Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, Elisha says, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. See, he, he didn't even, he, he didn't really see the process. Uh, he, he didn't see the purpose yet. Anyway. So he gives some instructions to Gehazi to take his staff and run. Don't talk to anybody. Get over to there that that boy is and lay the staff on his face. And here's where she's contending. She says, I won't leave you. I'm going to stay with you, Elisha, because you're the man of God. So he went ahead, he laid the staff. Gehazi goes ahead and lays the staff. There's no sound, there's no response, nothing happens. The boy doesn't wake up. And then it said, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed. He lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, stretched himself out on him. The boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. That's a... A strange thing, isn't it? But it was God. And, he, and Elisha said, call the Shunammite, the well-to-do lady. And he did. And she said, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. So that's what Elijah did. He stretched himself out on the boy. You know, this, this, is found, this is a foundational type of thing to look at, I think, this, this, this verse. In that, it's a picture of our Savior. And it says, mouth to mouth, eyes to his eyes, his heart to his heart. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But what happened is he breathed life into our mouth. He stretched out his arms on the cross. We had eyes that couldn't see, but he exchanged his vision for our blindness. Our hands were frozen without strength, but he exchanged his strength for our weakness. Our heart, which was cold, and heart can get cold sometimes, get weary and get cold. He started beating it again. It started beating again. And his heart became ours. And it started, started to beat and beat and beat some more. Listen. Listen, folks. In these days, these have been tough and trying days. What God wants to do in these days is stretch out his life over you. Bring you hope where there was just fear. Courage where there is no courage. Strength where there is only weakness. And peace where there's been confusion and turmoil in this world. He touches us once again. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to encounter you again. He wants to renew the stream, give you living water. Let's stand together. We'll have prayer together.
There's two questions this morning. But first of all, you here, there's some here that might, you might not know Jesus as your savior. You haven't allowed him and you haven't believed on the cross and his death and his resurrection and his salvation. You can borrow this prayer from me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I ask your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior. Guide my life, O Lord, and help me to do your will. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, give us a call here at the church. Talk to somebody. God wants to do some marvelous things in your life and give you his resurrection power and brand new life. Questions for Christians here. Will you allow Jesus to encounter you again to stretch his life over yours? Will you make room again for miracles, for encounters, for that sort of thing, for a fresh encounter with God? Will you? They sang it so well this morning. He's our way maker. He's our miracle worker. He's our promise keeper. He's our light in the darkness. He is. There's no other light. There's only his light. Sometimes we look to the other lights. I think there's, there's, there's some help there. It says, no, I object. Or objection, he says, objection overruled is what he says. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can follow and serve you and that you are our personal savior. And Lord, you want to bring newness to our life and freshness to our lives. I pray for people here and you can just lift your heart up to God right now, you that are here, that you need a new hope. You need a new trust. You need to have another encounter. Just lift that up. Whatever that problem is, whatever that hurt is, just lift that up to God. Say, Lord, help me. So Lord, I pray for your blessing, for your help. We thank you for it. And we'll give all the glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. 